Wednesday of this week, we will end a week of prayer for Christian unity. Uh, Wednesday, this Wednesday, the 25th, is the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul. Of course, we call to mind with joy how uh, Saul was on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians and ultimately to have them put to death when Jesus intervened, uh, struck him to the ground, and uh, he was converted. And uh, Paul became the most ardent supporter of the church, most ardent uh, preacher of the gospel, and not that the other apostles were, were not preachers or whatever, but Paul seeing it as a special mission to go to the Gentiles, that there would be one church for Jew and Gentile alike, Greek and, and Hebrew speakers and, and Latin, all those things. And today in our second, second reading, we have St. Paul talking to the Corinthian community, a community that was so easily, unfortunately, divided, a community that fought amongst themselves. And if you remember, there's that whole passage, love is patient, love is kind, because they were fighting over who had the greatest spiritual gifts. But today in this section, they're fighting over who was perhaps more validly baptized, maybe we could, we could look at it. I was baptized by Peter. I was baptized by Paul. I was baptized by Apollos. I was baptized by Barnabas. I was baptized uh, Thomas. All these, all these saints of the early church. Uh, and Paul is calling them to mind, you were only given one baptism. We should note that while Paul says he was not sent to baptize, he did baptize. But that wasn't his primary mission. His mission was to preach, to evangelize, to bring people into an awareness that they needed baptism. He's not saying baptism is unimportant, but rather his mission, his first mission, is to proclaim the gospel. And while that church seemed so divided then, I wonder what St. Paul would write to the church now. Since 1054, there's been an obvious split in the church. Uh, between Orthodox and Catholic, a split that was uh, based more in politics than it was in theology, because we hold, and and, uh, uh, while we might express things differently, we hold the same faith. But then in 1517, so it will be almost, uh, uh, it will be a thousand years and 30, 31 years, and 500 and some years ago, in 1517, the Protestant Reformation began. And there, a very clear split, where not only was it politics, but now theology. And that we see that continued disintegration of the Church of Christ. While there is only one Church of Christ, and it still exists and still is unified, that visible unity is no longer present. We don't see that unity. And there's a sadness, and, and the older I get, the, the, the more I feel that sadness, that, that split. The more I, I wish, because I see the effects of, of that split so easily, that we're not credible as Christians. Uh, so often, we, we, if we can't get along, how do we expect others to come to Jesus Christ? If we can't live the unity of the church, that, the unity that Christ prayed for at the Last Supper, according to the Gospel, of, according to St. John... If we can't be united, how can we expect others to come and join us? We see it especially in in some of these smaller Protestant churches. As soon as there's a philosophical or theological debate, a contradiction, the pastor says something wrong, there's a split and a new church is formed to the point that there's something like 30,000 different churches 
as you count, not, not church buildings, but different churches that, that are, identify themselves as different. In the United States, this is sad. And the sadness I, I see comes because not only do we not have that credible witness that we sometimes can't get along as Christians, but that sadness comes because then there's a division in what we proclaim. And we see it especially in the Catholic Church. We have some that, that proclaim one thing that the church doesn't proclaim. And saying it's perfectly acceptable. Well, how do we expect the Catholic Church to be united if we see so many divisions and if we forget what we have? See, the truth is, yes, the Church of Christ, that invisible church that uh, is still united in Christ, by, belonged to by all believers, that Church of Christ subsists in the Catholic Church, and this is not a matter of triumphalism or, or, or uh, my rejoicing in the, the truth, uh, although I do rejoice in the truth, but uh, to, the, to the discredit or uh, to my shame that I'm putting down others. But as a Catholic, we believe, as Catholics, we believe that the fullness of means exist within the Catholic Church. They subsist in the Catholic Church. The fullness of means being the sacraments, being the valid sacraments, the Eucharist primarily, that we hold on to and we hold that in common with our Orthodox brothers and sisters, that we have the Pope who helps us proclaim the truth, who holds and is the final authority on earth of that truth, who proclaims what we believe, guided by the Holy Spirit, that we have the saints, we have scripture and tradition. All of these things are elements that we need in order to know the truth and live the truth. And so they, they exist within our Catholic Church. And other, other denominations, other churches have portions of that, have parts of that, but not the fullness. And so the, we need to invite others into this saving relationship, this saving church that's united in Jesus Christ, that we would be visible. Because without it, we're talking almost out of both sides of our mouth as Christians to the world. A world that is so confused, a world that, that has come to believe that whatever I believe to be true is true. That truth can be divided, that truth can be contradictory. Your truth can be different from my truth, can be different from somebody else's truth. This is a lie that Satan has allowed us to believe as a culture, as a world. There is only one truth, and all truth is united in Jesus Christ, who said in John's Gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We, when we cannot express that truth as Catholics, as Christians together, the truth is confused and hidden, and we see it in no other uh, field more greatly, I, at least I don't see it in, in any other field more greatly than in what we mark this day. Fifty years ago this day, the Supreme Court decision of Roe versus Wade was announced, which legalized abortion under the guise of privacy throughout the land. Of course, that was struck down now on June 24th of 2022 in the Dobbs decision, and I praise God for that. But we see that issue just simply return to the states. 
And some states have, because of that, have embraced the call to, to protect life from the first stages. That, we, that they see that life is the first right that we have as human beings. Some states have passed pro-abortion regulations. And we in this great state of Minnesota are poised to have passed one of the most radical pro-abortion bills in the United States. It's named the Protect Reproductive Options Act, the PRO Act. Whether the Minnesota Senate passes it or not, it's uncertain. We need to encourage our senators to, to uh, stand against this act. The representatives have already passed the act in their house. It removes all abortion protections whatsoever. Parental notification out the window. Inspections of, of, of uh, abortion clinics no longer required. The basic uh, telling the mother of the child what abortion entails no longer required. A number of years ago, a long time ago, I know, I know it's gross, but I had an ingrown toenail. The doctors would not do anything about it, and they, they wanted me to watch a video. I had to have full knowledge of what was going to happen. I didn't want to watch the video because I knew what it entailed. First of all, second of all, I found it as a waste of time. They would not do the procedure until I could tell them in detail, therefore, what they were going to do. Abortion, which kills not only the child, but sometimes kills the mother. There's health risks to abortion that, that we forget. No, we don't have to tell the mother what all, it all entails. That children under, the, under 18 don't even have to have their parent, parents' knowledge, forget consent. Their parents don't even have the right to know. This is sad. This is truly sad. And sometimes when we, when we hear about it, uh, some time ago I heard a, a pro-abortion woman say, well, if women can't get an abortion, I think we should hold the men accountable. Like, that's a bad thing. <laughs> I said, yes, yes, please hold men accountable. We live in a world that has rejected responsibility, and we talk about rights a hundred years ago, well, not even that long ago. The question wouldn't have been, what are my rights? It would have been, what are my responsibilities? What responsibility do, do I have to the nation? This is why, by the way, we saw the, the greatest generation, as it's called, those that uh, lived during the World War II, because their question was always, how am I responsible? How can I help? How can I make a difference? Now we live in a world that's my rights, my, what I want, what I desire, my truth. Why we live in a world that says, I can be whatever I want to be. And I'm not talking in career or, or anything like that. If I, say one, if I say something that's contrary to the truth, that's the truth for me. It all comes down to this one issue, I believe. The matter of truth. We live in a world that says it's easier for a woman to get rid of the child. That that's really almost the only option that so many are given. We live in a world that uh, high-ranking senators, especially, have said that anyone who offers anything other than abortion services is a sham. That they're offering uh, pro-life uh, uh, pregnancy centers, crisis pregnancy, pregnancy centers, should be shut down because they are not doing 
what is right. Talk about a lie. And pregnancy centers, let's be clear, do a lot more than support a woman through birth. They support a woman for years after. And parent care and, and education and clothing and help. There is help out there. I know I've met a number of women who have been scarred by abortion. I've met a number of women who, who have realized that the, the decision that they were told, the only decision they were given, ultimately talk about choice, was abortion. And there is help, praise God. Retreats and, and counseling services, we can't undo the harm that was done, but we can help address it as a church. But even more, we need to stand firmly against abortion. Again, if I forget which bishop it was recently, but if abortion, if the right to life is not protected, no life is protected. And don't we see this? St. John Paul, or St. Paul VI prophesied in his encyclical Humana Vitae that if we allow birth control, Abortion would be one of the results, a heightened abuse of women, pornography, all these things, that we're not the arbiters of truth. God is, and that we need to proclaim it, that truth that God has proclaimed to us. As we come this day, we call to mind that we need this unified voice, a voice that speaks clearly to the darkness, a voice that we praise God that is being heard more and more, but a voice that so often is clouded because of our division, that we could speak with one voice again the truth, not only the truth of life and the respect of life from the first moment, the truth of we need to help women who are in these crisis pregnancy centers. Yes, let's hold men accountable as well. But a truth that goes beyond a truth that we are not what we say we are. We are what God says we are. We are who God says we are. We are his children, all of us called into his family, all of us called to proclaim the truth, each in our own way. Perhaps this is why Jesus invites Peter and Andrew to be fishers of men. See, a fisherman who uses a net especially will cast the net into the sea and pull out out of the depths of darkness, the fish into the boat. And just as, as that happens, so too those who evangelize, those who preach the gospel, are called to preach to the darkness, to all creatures who live in darkness, who, who find the darkness maybe where they like to be, knowing that they're created for something more. They're created, human beings are created to live in the light, the light of truth, the light of justice, the light of mercy, the light of God's love, a light that we have as Christians, a light dimmed perhaps by our disunity, but a light that still shines. Let us work for unity, not only in the church, not only because it is a scar, but because of what effect it can have on our culture, to have one voice proclaiming the one truth, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he has created us to be special, that every life is to be revered and protected, 
that every, every life is unique and that we are, all of us, united in the family of God.